This is the Strike Mesh Boil Podcast, presented by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club. This week, we dig into single vessel brewing systems and the benefits of homebrew collaborations. And Dana judges a Hellas. That and more, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Strike Mash Boil. I'm Marco, president of Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, and I'm joined uh, by my co-host, Phil. Phil, we're episode three into the new year. That's right. We're back. Uh, it's now the fifth time we've recorded remotely, uh, which is more times than we ever recorded in person. Uh, not sure how much longer we're going to have to record remotely, probably a little while. But uh, I, I look forward to the opportunity to get everybody back in, in person and, and be able to see everybody's faces, you know, not on my big screen here. Um, but we've got a great show for this week. So uh, Dana and Sean are back. Uh, they were here a couple weeks ago um, talking about uh, Advent calendar beers for Christmas. And so this week we're going to talk about uh, all-in-one or brew-in-the-bag style systems. And we're going to talk about homebrew collaborations. Uh, plus we got some beer to judge. So uh, pretty good show. Yeah, we got ton to talk about, so we might as well just jump right in. And as Phil mentioned, we have Big D Dana uh, back with us, and then we have Sean. Uh, welcome back, guys. Hey, how you doing, guys? Thanks for having us. Yeah, so so for this week's roundtable, uh, we want to talk about the all-in-one brewing system. Uh, systems like the Grandfather, Bruzilla, Anvil Foundry, Spike Solo, others. Uh, so this topic has tons of YouTube videos, but what we really want to focus on is... Uh, the perspective of the end user, actual homebrewers, you guys, uh, the people that are using these things. And so thankfully, uh, between Dana, Sean, and even Phil, you guys have some version of uh, one of these systems. So uh, to kick us off, uh, you know, before you talk about what system you have today, tell me, what were you brewing with before? So I started off brewing, um, in, you know, inside partial mash and stuff. And as soon as I could, I upgraded to multiple burners outside upgrading kettles so my three vessel system is 20 gallon kettles with two burners one of the kettles basically being a, a, a hot liquor tank um, it's very labor intensive to set it all up about an hour plus just to set everything up and get everything going um, plus not having to forget that you don't you, know, you need to make sure you have your propane tanks filled and all that stuff so that's what i was working with and, and so, Sean, uh, you know that's what you were working with before. And, and what do you what are you brewing on now? Now I've switched over partially to the Anvil Foundry. Awesome. And all right, what about you, Dana? What were you brewing on before? Uh, yes, yeah, so I've been, I've been brewing for a while, so I made that navigation from the um, the old you know just five gallon pot that I was doing partial uh, you know partial extracts to. Um, my main system before I went the all-in-one was either if I was doing a five-gallon batch, I had the old igloo cooler set up um, with a, I think it was 13-gallon pot, you know, so I could do double batch if I needed to. And if I was doing a big batch, um, I had a, a kegel as my mash ton. It would still use that same 13-gallon pot as my um, my boil kettle. Uh, two burners, you know, I could use one if I needed to, two if I needed both. Uh, but that's kind of that was kind of my main my main workhorse. Um, and now I've moved on over to the, um, the anvil. Oh, so you, you have the foundry also. Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't gotten rid of my other one. I still plan on using that for, um, you know, summertime brews or like really big batches maybe, but, um, yeah, I got the same one as Sean. Right. And then, uh, Phil, you know, you get to sit in the, uh, you know, basically the interview chair today. So what, what yeah. do you, what were you brewing on before? 
So I, uh, uh, like these guys, I started um, on the stovetop and then uh, went to a single propane burner doing partial mash. <clears throat> and then I went to um, two burners, uh, you know, all grain, kind of standard three vessel. And then I electrified it. Uh, and uh, so kind of an eHerms electric system. And then I picked up the spike basket and the condensation lid so I can... Uh, move things to the basement and uh, do five to 10 gallon batches. But I kept, I kept the rest of the gear as well. So I can um, still do those big batches much like these guys are. All right. So for our conversation today, I'm on an Island uh, cause I'm still brewing with my three burner system, three pots, moving things around all over the place. So I, yeah, I got to know you guys slightly different processes, but essentially we're brewing the same way I was brewing before you guys went into the all in one educate me. Why the hell did you guys make the leap to an all-in-one system? Convenience. Pretty much, I, you know, like I said, it's a pretty labor-intensive process just to make sure the planning that goes into, like I said, making sure you have propane, making sure that, you know, you set aside the time to get everything taken out of the garage, set up out where I do it in my house was my backyard, um, set everything up. It's, you know, the better part of an hour to get everything kind of where I'm comfortable and ready to start going. Um, then you add on a five hour, six hour plus brew day on top of that. Um, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. You guys, uh, well, not you guys, but Phil, you know how prepared I like to be for these, uh, these, you know, podcasts. And I'm looking back at my notes and I see that uh, the last time we talked to Sean, we found out how much of a lazy asshole he is. And so the convenience factor makes sense, right? Last time he told us he didn't make beer for the advent calendar because of how lazy, well, he didn't tell us Dana outed him. Thank you, Dana. Uh, and, and so basically uh, this justifies the move. You, you, you want it to be more efficient. So you went to something that was more convenient, easier to work with. Absolutely. Now, I mean, I can have a start to finish brew day on, on this thing in about four hours. It's got a delayed start timer on the foundry that I can set it up and turn it on in the morning. And by the time I come home, I'm ready to dough in. Dan, is this the same reason for you? So uh, it was definitely the, um, the convenience factor for, um, for part of it. So you know, when I first, you know, obviously yeah, brewing outside on a nice sunny day, not too bad. I don't like the sun too much, but you know, the fall is perfect weather to brew. But once winter hits, you know, and I've done it plenty of times. You go out there in December, you go out there in January, it's six degrees and you're trying to brew a friggin' beer or it's snowing or raining. Nobody wants that. It's like, for Christ's sakes. So I'm like, all right, I, you know, I can do that in the summer, but in the winter, I, I want to brew stuff without like freezing my ass off. So makes perfect sense um you can do it inside the house you know it's got you got some ventilation and even um even if you don't it doesn't make you know it's it's electric it's not propane so you don't have to worry about any propane gas you know not that anyone's going to be lighting that in their house if it's if they have a propane well you know well actually we we may have had a member that had a few burners going on in his uh in the back of his basement which was a little uh, sketchy but yeah, so, uh, he, he never died or passed out so we're, we're so good there. yeah with the electric you don't have to worry about that and it makes it a, a lot more you know it comes with the lid and everything it comes a lot more um a lot less evaporation it's just and it's you know i'm old it, it comes with the pump where I bought the research set that comes with the pump. So, you know, it's recirculating. I'm, I'm you fancy things in and out. I, I'm not, you know, moving as much water now. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good for the back. 
Yeah, and on the total flip side, uh, Phil, uh, other than your unsatiable desire to waste water with that condensing lid, uh, why did you decide to jump into the that system? I, you know, I was looking to um, <clears throat> start brewing some smaller batches of beer. So, you know, trying to do a five or six, seven gallon batch of beer on a on the big twenty gallon setup, um, not exactly super efficient. Um, so uh, then Spike came out with the basket and the lid. And um, I, I also was brewing out in my garage, so I didn't have the snow and rain problem. But getting there in the wintertime, I would be trudging through a couple feet of snow and then lugging buckets of beer back to my basement to toss into the to the spidal or, or a conical. So I was looking to move to the basement. The lid was uh, a way of me not drilling through 14 inches of solid wood for my sill uh, for a, a vent fan. And, uh, you know, the basket lets me do five gallons, lets me do 10 gallons. And it's, you know, lets me reuse most of my equipment. I don't have to go. I didn't go buy the solo control panel. Um, I really just bought the basket and the lid. Um, and that's so it's not like I just bought the solo and, and bought a whole new rig. I kind of just added on. So it's just a, another piece of equipment for me to, to do smaller batches. Yeah. So you guys got to help me out. Like, um, I, I've never brewed on an all in one system. And for the folks that are listening, essentially how these systems work is, uh, you have your main kettle vessel, uh, that you, um, have an insert that goes into it where you're mashing your grains and you're removing that insert that takes the grains and you're leaving behind the warts and then you're continuing the process. Uh, that's the dumbed down version of it. Um, now for me on my brew day, now I know that I'm not, you guys that have brewed with me, you know, that my brew days are not normal, but, um, like I like all of the steps and the movement and the, the, does, does working with an all-in-one system take away some of the fun that brew day brings? I don't think so personally. I mean, like I said, for me, it's, you know, a convenience thing. I, if I can get to the same finish line with, I mean, it's still the same amount of work. The process doesn't change. Um, it just, it lowers the, you know, the movement I have to do. And, and it's just a little bit more compact. The other thing is too, is I don't have a whole lot of space. So, you know, having this rack with all the other equipment in my garage, um, you know, it's just, it's, it takes up a lot of space. This takes up a very small footprint. Um, I can now not have to run in and out of my, in and out of my garage because my garage is completely finished. So it's not like an actual garage. Um, I'm running inside and outside all day, grabbing things, you know, in and out, in and out. And now I don't have to do that. It's, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm right there in one room still doing all the same steps, but it's just, it, to me, it's a little bit more enjoyable. It's a little bit less labor intense. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll feel this way when I'm Dana's age, you know, when I'm, when I'm pushing the elderly uh, button, uh, you know, I'll feel like I want to do less work. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the amount of work that I do now, but uh, then begs the question of the final product. You know, you guys uh, spend, or, and I know I have spent a ton of time on my existing system, trying to fine tune it and uh, you know, make as good of a beer as I can. Uh, and you guys say, hey, fuck it, I'm going to try something new and then start that whole fine-tuned process all over again. Are you guys um, happy with what's been coming out? Are you brewing beer that you are just as proud of? Because I know efficiency does go down a bit, right? you got to compensate with that in, in these all-in-one systems. So you, you're having to change your process a little bit and learn some stuff. Are you guys – have you guys been happy with what you're making? I've been thrilled, and it's 
one of the first beers I did was a uh, British Golden Ale that I brought to one of our, um, I think our last. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. It was, I, I won beer of the day with it. Yeah, this, it, the, you know, first and beers every goddamn up. time he gets the opportunity to say it, he says it every time. Yeah. Oh yeah, Mister uh, won forty times in a row over here. Uh, it was but, it was thirty nine times, but I appreciate the extra one. I thank you. But one of the first times I brewed with the basket, it it made as good of a beer as uh, I was making on the three vessel system, and it only took four hours. Um, again, it's a time thing, so it, it did make the process more enjoyable because I wasn't wasting my entire day trying to to brew a beer yeah and I, and I would say to that um even even before i got the foundry I'm, I'm always trying to trying to get more specific you know i'm using like software so i can record and, and be more efficient instead of like writing stuff in notebooks so you know i'm trying to, to to get fine-tuned and before i even went over to the foundry the last few batches that i had you know same amount of water it's so many variables i'm still yeah i still never really fine-tuned my other system in even like after all these years i'd be like all right here's my water usage great i go up there i'm expecting six gallons in the the fermenter i end up with four and a half i don't know what happened or i end up with eight i'm like what the hell you know so so do 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 these systems allow you to be just more consistent yeah i'd say yeah yeah i was um very first brew that I did with the anvil and even has like a little chart in there. Like, Oh, if you use an X amount of grains, use, you know, this much water for no sparge. You know, just, I put it, I put in the grain I was using. I, I ended up with the exact, you know, I, I had no loss other than what they planned for me to have for loss. Um, yeah. The, the variables are much more, um, much more in tune and you don't really have to worry about like a lot of things you know, getting out of hand, um, on that system, they have, you know, inside markings for every, every gallon. So, whereas you might've been using a different system before or eyeballing or who knows what your measure measurements were. Um, it, it's, it's very structured and standard and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it so far. Still, still learning curve for me, but, uh, and like you said, the efficiency does go down, but you know, definitely ways you can uh, counteract that. Yeah, Phil, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to exclude you from this next uh, thing that I'm kind of curious about, because the obvious reason why you why you went with uh, the system you did is because you already had a spike system and it was easy to add on to it to get to where you're at. Uh, Dana, you and Sean, you guys weren't committed to Anvil, uh, but you guys chose the Anvil Foundry. Was there something about it, um, and I understand that it might be um, a little less expensive than some of the co- the competitors, but was there is there anything uh, that drew you guys specifically to those two systems that you guys went there? Did you compare them to the others? Like what what stood out about those for you guys? So I got a chance to brew with one of the other guys in the club. He has the um, Brewer's Edge Mash and Boil, and basically they, all these these coffee urn type systems they're all basically the same in theory. And the control panel is down on his, and it was like this with the original Anvil Foundry. Um, was it, the the control panel was down on the skirt underneath, so it was extremely difficult to get down there and actually look at it and adjust it. You really got to get low, um, you know, sitting on the floor, you know, trying to mess with it and all that stuff. Um, one thing that uh, somebody had added me into a group on Facebook for the Anvil Foundry. Um, and 
John Blickman himself is in that group and he's asking questions. So I thought that was a really cool, um, you know, I thought that was, that was a really cool backing for his products. Um, well, cause Blickman asking, has their own version of it, right? So Anvil is Blickman's lower tier. Yeah. So um, they, oh, okay. They, I yeah. got it. Yeah. Understood. They, I mean, they have their brew easy systems, but, yeah. um, so he's in there asking questions. What, you know, what would, you know, what would you guys like to see, you know, what would make it a better experience for you guys and me included. And a lot of other people were saying that the control panel being down on the lower skirt is a pain in the ass. So they redesigned it with B2 and it's actually up at the top of the kettle now. And it's slightly angled up towards, you know, for a, a you know, a viewing angle. So, it eliminates that, you know, getting down on the, you know, down on the ground and all that stuff. Um, the Brewer's Edge mash and boil just seemed that the pump was internal on that one. And I didn't like that. If something happens with the pump, now I got to rip this whole thing apart and figure out how to fix this. Um, Anvil with their pump kit, it's everything is external. Uh, I already had a couple of chugger pumps from my old system, so I just utilize those. But that's ultimately the reason I ended up going with it. Dana, you know, same question to you. Uh, you know, I, I know that you had uh, talked to Sean a little bit about um, his system. And, and, you know, he just did a really good job of articulating what he found were the differences and why he decided to go with the Anvil. Uh, you know, what was it for you? Like, what, what made you choose that system? Yeah, so uh, before I was looking around, you know, a couple of people in the club do have, um, you know, different electric systems. Um, Sean, I didn't get to brew with him on it, but he, you know, when I was over, he did, you know, kind of give me the, uh, the, the tour of the system, kind of how it worked and basically everything he described. Um, and like you said, you know, the fact that, um, you know, Blickman produces that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, a different line, but it's still their product. Um, I mean, if, and if you know brewing, then you know the name Blickman. So, um, you know, quality. And then for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm price conscious. So looking at things like the Grainfather for a thousand dollars, um, or this, uh, I mean, this system, I got the 10, the 10.5, um, which I think if you have like a lower gravity beer, you can get up to like seven gallons or so, but you know, five gallon batch easily handled. And it was, you know, I watched some YouTube videos of people using it and, um, you know, giving it reviews and, I mean, for under 500 with the pump for me, because I didn't have any pumps, it comes with the pump, the hose, the you know, the, res the whole recirculation kit with everything. I mean, under 500. I mean, if, if you're coming off the street, 500 might be a big chunk of change if you want to see about maybe starting extract on your stovetop. But I mean, once you buy a propane burner, if you're buying a 10 gallon pot, if you're buying a chiller, I mean, you're, you're probably piecemealing you know, a heavy portion of that anyway. So if you can get that all all in one, um, you know, it's a pretty, pretty price conscious purchase. And I think one of the other cool, um, you know, the aspects that really drew me to the foundry was the mash and boil was 120 volt only. Yeah. Uh, that was my question to you was, uh, are these 120 or 240? So system? these actually have a, a switch on the back that is covered by a safety guard. You actually have to unscrew it and get it out of the way. So you can flip the switch, uh, but you can alternate it between one, uh, 120 or 240. And I've, I've wired mine up to 240 at this point now, and it definitely has sped things up a little bit. And I'm still at the 120, but, um, yeah, but you guys, you guys have uh, both been using the system for a little while. Anything uh, you guys aren't liking about it? 
I mean, you guys have had some pretty good reviews uh, for it at this point, but anything you're not really liking or um, anything um, that since you've gotten it has exceeded your expectations, like both both ends of the spectrum here. So with the, you know, in regards to, you know, the control panel, you know, moving it up and, you know, putting it at a, at a, at a viewer's angle and stuff like that, um, it is very close to the top. Now moving to 240. You get you can get really close to a boil over pretty quickly without realizing it, and uh, so that's definitely something that concerns me. Um, at a lower price point, you kind of you, you know you get what you pay for. Um, the basket is not the most robust, you know, piece of equipment out there. Uh, there's a lot of spot welds on it that I could see, um, you know, failing. Um, but again, I mean, they, they've been pretty good with, you know, from what I've seen, if anybody has an issue with it, then, you know, they've been pretty good with um, working through those issues with them. Um, but I mean, you, you get what you pay for. It is, a low, you know, an entry level system. Um, it's not going to be the best quality in the world, but it, it should last for, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it should last for many years. Once the burners, I mean, once the elements do burn out, um, there is no replacing them. That's, you know, that's, you know, another part that I don't, you know, I'm not in love oh, with. Uh, so that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so, uh, once the element's done, the system is done. I believe that the, the way I understand it. Yeah. I believe they're so, cast into the bottom. Is that the same case for the other all-in-one systems or is that unique to Anvil? I would say it's unique to Anvil because of the fact that it has the dual, elements and the you know the the 120 or two or 240 uh option so but the blickman brew easy if an element died on that thing you could just replace an element i, I don't know the answer to it, but I, I, have no I, idea. I haven't looked into it um but i would i would i would think so i imagine this thing is built to hang around for a while you're not gonna this isn't yeah. a uh, you're gonna use it for a year and it's gonna die yeah. but it's just a, it's an interesting tidbit and who knows how the technology shifts um Deeds. as time goes on but yeah these yeah. are relatively new so yeah i mean are they slated to last you know longer than a year i would i mean i would absolutely think so but well, i, I mean, would expect it to yeah. it, it, could it die within a year or so i mean it depends on how well you take care of it i mean it's like anything you take care of your stuff and it could last you a lifetime uh, dana what about you uh, anything that's uh you know been surprisingly great about it since you've gotten it or anything that you're like man i'm not, not a huge fan um, I mean, as far as things I liked about it when uh, when it first arrived, you know, taking it out of the box, I was like, oh, it's kind of kind of hefty. The the box with the packing and the cardboard was about as heavy as the system when I pulled the system out of it. Um, so it's very. I mean, the good thing about it is that it's you know it's lightweight, it's portable. If it's a sunny day and you want to brew outside, if you got a plug, you know, you can you can bring that outside too. You don't need to bring your, your whole setup. Um, and again, its benefit is, you know, for me, you know, cold weather, you know, snow, winter here in New England, I, I don't want to go outside. It's it's useful for that. Um, but on that that flip side, as far as you know, it being as heavy as a cardboard box, you could, um, you know, is is it going to stand the test of time? Like Sean said, hopefully more than a year. But you know, twenty years probably not. Hopefully, somewhere in between, though. You know, um, on the spike uh, basket, one thing I noticed is my um, brew table is about uh, probably somewhere between knee and waist high, and then 
20 gallon kettle, about 22 ish inches tall. And then the basket again is another 22 inches tall. So by the time that basket's sitting on its hooks, the top of it's like eye level. Well, if you're trying to lift that puppy up full of hot liquid and, you know, 20, 25 pounds of grain, whatever it is for a 10 gallon batch, and you're trying to lift that up head high, um, you know, that's, that's not a, a, an easy thing to do. And so I ended up buying a little um, Harbor Freight work platform that sits about a foot off the floor and move my kettle down there to use that basket. But even then, I, I'm, I think I'm going to have to get myself a little pulley and winch because this thing is heavy, man. Yeah, your, your brew table, was, that the, was it from Spike? No, I bought my uh, brew table and I had the legs hacked off. So that's a custom height yeah. brew table. Yeah, because like, I know uh, the the spike one. Obviously, they came out with the their brew table before they came out with the basket. So that's obviously something that they'll probably adjust for. Tim has that brew table, so you've you've seen how high yeah. that table is. It, it's a good call, but you know, I, I'm I'm actually curious, um, Phil, from you, um, you know, what's something that you know I, I get that is probably not the best design and, and probably requires some, I mean, you're an engineer, so it's perfect for you, but requires some of that. The spike system, converting it to a single vessel system is kind of unique in the industry. Not too many people were, you know, had come up with this um, conversion kit for an existing system. Anything about it has surprised you using it? Like, is there anything you're like, man, this thing is way better than I expected? No, it, it pretty much hit all the expectations. There have been a lot of people complaining online about um, some uh, grain that can get through the through the bottom of the basket and into the boil. Um, I, I mean, I've noticed a little bit, but not anything that's, you know, driven me crazy. Um, there's some people who have also fried their elements um, because they are, they buy the full spike solo with uh, the tri-clamp, uh, system with all the butterfly valves and butterfly valves can't throttle the flow. So they open all their butterfly valves full bore. They turn that pump on and it just sucks all the, uh, wart out from underneath the basket where the element is and puts it up on top of the grain. It can't drain down through the grain bed fast enough. Um, and so people who have never run pumps before don't know the noise of what a pump makes, when it's dry, but also they're dry firing their elements. So there have been some user errors and a lot of complaints out on the spike uh, user group, but those are things I was used to having been brewing all grain with similar equipment. But uh, I think it's met all of the expectations. I mean, it's letting me do what I want, which is uh, brewing a single vessel, cut down my brew day. Um, yeah, the efficiency went down, but, um, you know, I think you are going to find that in any brew in a bag type setup. Well, I got to say, guys, this has been some pretty awesome info. And I'm pretty sure we'll uh, dive into this topic again in the future, um, especially if you guys have had even more time brewing with those systems. And uh, um, obviously some really great, uh, you know, unsolicited feedback for Anvil. Hopefully they're listening and uh, hopefully it'll be solicited feedback sometime in the future when they become a sponsor, but they're not today. Uh, you know, hint, hint. Uh, but appreciate the time, guys. Uh, again, an, another awesome session and, and appreciate you guys sharing with me. 
Okay, time for this week's beer review. Each week we're going to review a beer, and uh, yet again we are going to do this with a bit of a twist. Because uh, of COVID, uh, recording remotely, uh, we are going to judge a commercial beer. And our judges, uh, which Dana and Sean, you guys did this last time, right? We gave you a commercial beer? We did. I yeah, think we, we got did. commercial time. Yeah. So uh, we got another commercial beer for these guys. Uh, they don't know what it is because, yet again, I have wrapped the ever-living shit of that thing up with gaffer's tape. <laughs> Uh, so for you guys, our listeners through the joys of post-production editing, the beer we are reviewing is Weihensteffener original premium Munich Helles lager. And we'll wait while you run out to the packy and pick up a bottle or can. Uh, but now our guest judges are going to walk through judging as if this were a homebrew competition. And all they know is the category of the beer. 4A, Munich Hellas. And we've mentioned it before, but uh, many homebrew competitions at judging tables will have a BJCP judge uh, of and uh, a non-ranked judge as well. Uh, so we're going to replicate that again this week. We have uh, Dana, who's our BJCP certified judge, uh, and joining him is going to be Sean, um, who, quite frankly, just isn't certified at all. Uh, so guys, you've got your score sheets, <laughs> you've got your score sheets, uh, and the beer. So, uh, let's get into it. All right. So Dana, uh, 4A Munich Hellas, um, tell us about it. Um, yeah. So overall, this beer is supposed to be a clean, malty, gold colored German lager. Uh, it's labeled as a refreshing everyday drink. And it's uh, overall descriptor is supposed to be smooth, grainy, sweet malt flavor with just uh, enough restrained bitterness there uh, so that you can you taste it. But the malt is a little bit ahead of it as far as the, uh, the flavor profile. All right. So aroma. So for this beer, I took a little sniff break. Um, well, can we get, let's get a, the cheers first, guys. Cheers. cheers. We'll dive in. So the, uh, the aroma on this, uh, it's supposed to be uh, grainy sweet malt flavor. Is kind of uh, prevalent, uh, not overbearing. The um, hop aroma uh, should be, you know, kind of low to medium-ish, probably not even as high as medium. Um, spice, herb, floral, you know, typical noble hop aroma. If, uh, if you're not aware of what that is, it's kind of those descriptors, spice, herbal, and floral. Um, they say a little bit of a DMS is acceptable. Uh, if it's not there, not a problem. Uh, should be clean fermented, you know, and um, sometimes if it's a fresh example, it might have even more malt aroma. Yeah, I, I got to say, like, uh, this is the table that I usually get stuck judging, but I find it to be like the hardest beers to judge because everything is just so fine tuned and so subtle. Like, it's not like New England IPA. Uh, you're expecting something to punch you in the face. An imperial stout, you're expecting something to smack you. Uh, with with these beers, they're so you know delicate and clean that picking up some of the characteristics that it describes in the, uh, I mean, it when you read the description in BJCP guidelines, you ex- it sounds like it's something overt and obvious, but it's not. You got to like dig in and and you have to be pretty fine tuned to. Uh, uh, pick up on some of the stuff. And the reason why uh, I'm usually judging this table when in our competition is because I very seldom brew these beers because uh, it, they're as difficult as it is to pick up this stuff. They're just as difficult to brew. Uh, and I, I like to hide behind stuff in the beers that I make. Yeah. It's almost like um, for these beers, it's almost easier to taste and smell what it shouldn't be 
rather than what it should be. I'm great at that. I am great at finding faults and everything. People, beer. Uh, I'll definitely point out the bad stuff all day. It's easy. So yeah, that's that's what's uh, kind of the, the tough thing. If if something if a Hellas is made good, you're not really going to pick up too much. You know, it's, it's that subtleness and everything's kind of well blended. Um, so you really shouldn't be. If it's if it stinks, you'll 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 notice. I mean, I'd say again, reading the description and and how you described it. Um, I mean, the beer smells as advertised. Yeah, I'll tell you. Even reading it and reading the fact that it should be a sweet malt aroma. I mean, you you get that, but like the low spice, uh, spicy floral hops. I mean, it's hard to distinguish between you know between what's going on. I know because you got like yeast stuff happening, you got grain, you got hops, and everything is balanced and so subtle. It's it can be really difficult to tell what is what. Exactly, and that's why I like when it says low. It's like, all right, well, it's I'm having trouble picking it up, but it's low, so I guess that's I guess that's on point, right? All right, how's this beer look, Dana? It is beautiful. Um, <laughs> this so is the, <laughs> this is a Dana beer. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this, uh, the, I mean, I like my beers nice and clear if I can get them there. Um, so the appearance, you know, it's medium uh, yellow to pale gold is, is the guidelines. I'd say this is, um, say probably uh, gold. It's not even gold. It's it's you know like a deep straw. Yeah. Um, the head is uh, should be. Um, uh, it should be clear, which obviously, and this is brilliantly clear, uh, and the um, head should be like a persistent creamy white. Uh, I definitely have white. I don't know. I mean, it's lingering there. Not not big. It doesn't say pillowy or moussey or anything, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit more head would be nice. Uh, but A, a little bit more head is always <laughs> nice, Dana. Can't complain. Uh, but, yeah, beautiful-looking beer. You can drink uh, you know, a liter of this would... We'd look right in place. Uh, as far as flavor, you know, if, if you want to taste this beer, uh, malt again. So it kind of, again, a lot of these beers, the, the flavor goes in line with the aroma. Uh, so you should be tasting malt, uh, moderate, grainy sweetness, uh, soft, rounded palate. Uh, the hop bitterness should be low, medium low. You're not getting a lot of bitterness. Again, it's it's... A pretty even beer with the malt just shining a little bit of high, uh, higher than the hops. Uh, the finish should be soft and dry. The hop flavor, you know, a lot of people get kind of confused sometimes with the bitterness and the flavor. Um, but you can have a very flavorful hop without it being bitter. You can have a very bitter beer without it being very flavorful. Uh, but then again, that is is low to medium-ish. Um, overall, this malt is going to dominate um, the hops but it still stays noticeable on both of them and it shouldn't have any residual sweetness. It should finish pretty, pretty clean. Is the, is the initial um, flavor sweet enough? I'd say so. Cause that's where you pick up. Um, you're going to pick it up obviously when you're drinking it, but um, you know, when it says like that, no residual sweetness, you know, if you're drinking a big stout, if you're drinking yeah, a lot of things. You just have that cloying sweetness, not even necessarily cloying, uh, but you're going to have like a, a, a lot of bigger beers or not, not always have to be big beers, but uh, a lot of times you have that sweetness, but then it finishes sweet. Like maybe an Irish red might come to mind, something that has that lingering sweetness. Mm. Um, yeah, but this is just, you know, you pull away from your, your sip, kind of invite you back for another one. You don't have to clear your palate waiting for another one. Yeah, I get that sweetness up front, but it's not a lingering sweetness. It's it's almost like a 
uh, almost like a slightly dry finish. Yeah, and I think it's a lot to do with that balance. Yeah, you know, it's not too malty, not too hoppy. Yeah, I got. I got to be honest. I mean, this kind of beer is my jam right here. But this is what I'm. I'm all about lately. <clears throat> and I think you know it's we're in the dead of winter, and um, and this is the kind of beer that I think you can drink year round. Like uh, any time of year, a beer like this uh, goes great uh, because I can enjoy this sitting around uh, a fire in the fall. I can it could be a lawnmower beer it can be uh you know sitting by the fireplace at home beer like this is just a great daily drinker i don't need a reason for it yeah yeah Yeah, perfect Uh, i don't need a reason for this is not an occasion beer this is just (laughs) drinking beer yes Uh, if anything the only knock i would give it is that uh these are 12 ounce bottles and clearly this is a german (laughs) lager so it should be in the liter and, and a liter of this would go down probably just as fast as this 12 ounce bottle just went yeah. for me because it was mm. man it's definitely a crushable beer it's enjoyable um dan i've i've asked nick this i don't know if i've ever asked you this but d- does personal preference when you're judging a, a competition and you're sitting at a table and there's just a style of beer that you really like does personal preference influence you at all when you're scoring it? Um, I th- Same question I think- to you too, Sean, because I'm curious from like Dana is going to try to put on his certified judge hat and be all professional and shit uh, and be like, no, I'm trying to be as biased, unbiased as possible, blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Uh, uh, so Sam, I'm, I'm curious for you too, Sean, who's not trying to get points at a, at a competition judging it. But but Dana, t- tell me, like, be honest. The, the people at home want to know. Does personal preference give you a little, uh, give them a little nudge? It 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 can. Um, I try, like I said, uh, you know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I try. Uh, BJCP is going to now strip you of your titles <laughs> yeah. because you've admitted to it. That's it. <laughs> Taking away my volunteer membership. Um, <laughs> But is it more of something, Dana, where your personal preference definitely comes into play with really good versions of a style you love um, or or enjoy? Um, you know, you can maybe recognize more what it should be. Yeah, I think as far as personal preference, I mean, you might go to to five competitions, you might find the same judge in the same category each of those five because they're like, I love. I love a Hellas or I love a Brown. Uh, and they're going to request that because they know that beer. They make that beer. They love to drink that beer. Uh, and then you have other judges that maybe they want to judge something that they don't they don't make themselves. Like myself, I mean, I wouldn't specifically be requested to be put at the Hellas table, but I don't make Hellas's. So if I was sat at that table, um, obviously try and be as fair as I can, but, it, you know, I think if you know the style, you might not have a a preference. Not necessarily a bias, but well, I but think Dana, you might the know opposite, it better. Does the opposite run true also? Part of the reason why uh, I mentioned earlier that I end up judging this table or a table similar to this is because I don't enter a beer like this into competition. So obviously, if I enter a beer into our competition, I can't judge that table, right? So I'm thinking like, if you're a haze boy and you're all about New England IPAs and you get thrown on the Munich Hellas table, is your disgust for, for Munich Hellas, <laughs> if you just don't like that beer and you're at that table, does that now tick down your score a little bit? 
Like, does your, you know, and, and, and I'll call you out for this too. Uh, not that I know you've, you've done it, but I know that you've judged tables of styles you don't like sours you, you did that in our competition one time and it's not your favorite style i think and uh, the last time you were here we we gave you guys the the rapid fire quiz and you mentioned your least favorite style if you're on that table is your personal preference or uh, or your just dislike of a style going to take it down a few uh for me no uh, because i mean that's what the guidelines are there for i mean if, if it's going like in the best of show, I'm going to try and evaluate it as best I can against all those other styles. But I mean, if you're, if you're trying a bunch of sours, I mean, that's, that's the reason they have some guidelines to kind of help you out and hopefully not have that personal preference. Um, I, it's, it's, I think Sean might be more, cause since he's not, um, he's not a judge, he might have a better answer. Yeah, Sean. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think this is, a, I think this is, a, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on it because uh, like we mentioned earlier, um, you're going to, I'm going to enter a beer into a competition and, you know, more than likely I'm going to have a certified judge and a non-certified judge at that table. Yeah. So how much does personal preference play into how you're rating a beer? I, I try to, I try to model myself after, um, you know, after the guys that I see judge Nick Dana, I, I, you know, I see these guys. Or I've the only, certified judge that you're sitting yeah, at the, the table with. Or yeah, the that, certified that's, that's judge a, that's I'm a great with. Response, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think the nature of the beast is that, especially with the non-certified judges, that you're going to get a relatively biased opinion. And I think that's where the judge, the certified judge's job comes in to keep as, as much as it is to judge that beer. It's also to kind of keep the, you know, to keep the non-certified judge in check too. I mean, if, if I say, I mean, I could say this beer is just garbage and, you know, it's not, Trillium or Treehouse, and he looks at me and says, you know, well, it's not that style. You know, you need to really, you know, you really need to do it to that style. Um, you know, like I guess I, I think it definitely does happen. You know, as much as I feel it, it's wrong, some people I just don't think are going to be 100% honest all the time. Yeah, I, mean, I think about, like, if you look at statistics of, um, like, untapped, for example, Right. And, and I and I understand that untapped is not the uh, know all end all. That's but a rabbit hole that we can go down for a long time. Yeah, but but <laughs> but what what do, you, what do you think, Phil? You're you're a, you're a pro here. What do you think the the best Munich Hellas is on the planet? Uh, I would probably say uh, Augustiner okay. Hell. So Augustiner Hell. If we looked that up on Untapped right now, do you think it's above yeah, four? I think I yes, I think it is because I think you have a the the way that. Not no nothing yeah. well. No. What, what's that score? I, I think you got a lot of people trying to flex that they that they are beer aficionados. So August Shiner Hell, in fact, if you look at your style style guidelines, it's the first one listed on the commercial example, and it's a three point six five. Oh right, my so, god. So so all right, so this is so, that is so this is the this is the it's point horrible. that I'm making, right? So so you have this rating system and a Munich Hellas, the Best example out there pulls a three point six five. This is this is the average Joe rating a beer solely on personal preference. Has nothing to do with whether the, like it is, you know, in Phil's opinion, and I, I, I tend to I happen to agree with him um, that it is probably as good of an example of a Munich Hellas that there's out there. And if you were rating it on the style, it would be 
four seven five to five. I mean, it's it's yeah. almost a perfect Munich Hellas. Well, uh, one one thing I got to say though is for Untapped, the it's obviously it's a different pool than that's you, not its uh, market. Yeah, BJCP judge competition. You're getting a different feedback. It's like going to, you know, a, a fancy restaurant in New York and you're getting the you know, the, the New York times food review versus Yelp reviews. Like I went there and I had to wait like, okay. It's like, well, they're different people. But we are technically doing both right at our, at, at, at a standard uh, BJCP sanctioned competition. You're going to have Yelp and the pro <laughs> food mm-hmm. reviewer there. Yeah, but most of these people are, are, are yeah. they're, they're beer fans. They're not just, your drinkers, you know, so they're wanting to learn more. They volunteer to either judge or steward because, you know, they're looking to up their game. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not just taking a random, you know, Joe off the street. It's, it's people that usually know their, their stuff before they go in. And um, I've judged with people that, you know, they don't have any ranking, but they know what they're talking about. And it's, it's good to be judging with those people as well as, you know, ranked people or brewers or Cicerone. Um, you know, everyone's got their own strengths they can bring. Oh, so in true Marco fashion, I've uh, completely derailed this conversation. So, <laughs> so let's, let's bring it back to the beer that we're drinking that mine is already gone. But, uh, so I got a little left. <laughs> yeah. You got a little bit left. Yeah. Because we got to get your overall impressions, uh, overall impressions of, uh, this Munich Hellas. Yeah. I mean, it, it was good. I mean, the, that overall description of, Clean, malty, gold, refreshing everyday drink. It, it hits all of them. Um, I could drink liter and liter of this. I would I put it right in that middle of that outstanding. I'd say probably you know, 46, 47. Ooh. Yeah, uh, I, again, I really like again uh, Marco being as super prepared as he likes to be for these things. I believe uh, you threw a 45. Uh, at the last um, judging you did. So that's uh, that's pretty impressive. We, we've got it beat. Sean, what about you? What are your overall impressions? And, and get, drop us a score. Um, overall impressions, I mean, like I said, the beer hits every, absolutely every single guideline, same thing. Um, there's really not, I mean, there's really not much else to say about it. It's a, it's a subtle, it's a subtle beer. There's really no detectable flaws that, you know, reading through the guidelines, uh, somebody being as new to judging as I am, um, I'm not seeing anything jump out at me. Nothing's glaring. Nothing's making me scratch my head. Um, I'm and being a commercial example, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in that outstanding category. I would say 45, 46, because there's always room for improvement. So, you, so, so I'm, I'm I'm putting you guys on the spot, uh, Dana. It can't be a 46 or a 47. It's got to be a it's got to be one or the other. So, is it 46 or 47? 46.5. All right, boy, Sean. Same for you. It can't be forty-five or forty-six. I'll go forty-five. Okay. Uh, so then, the burning question is: Do y'all know which Munich Hellas this is? Oh, so you guys have you guys have the shape of the bottle, so you guys can you guys can investigate. It's, it's all blacked it's out, so you can't tell. Obviously, German with the mm-hmm. long neck. Um, but I, I don't have my um, I don't have my examples page. I don't. I didn't have that one. Um, you assume that he pulled it from there. Well, I guess I'm gonna guess, right? I don't know. Um, I'm I mean, gonna say. I, I mean, uh, I'm go gonna ahead, say Spotten. Spotten. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you mentioned Agostino. I don't know if, if, if you were dropping breadcrumbs there. No, uh, okay. that would be too easy. <laughs> All right. Those are hard to come by over yeah. here. Uh, so uh, this was uh, Weinstefener uh, original, okay. um, which is Freising, North And Munich. also listed uh, as a classic example in the guidelines. Nice. Well, thank you. That was good. Uh, yes, thank you, guys. And uh, for our listeners, uh, Weinstefener is uh, also known for their uh, Hefeweizen, which is the example for a Hefeweizen. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is a, also a fantastic Sounds beer. like a future episode. Yep, and they are the oldest brewery on earth, 1040. So coming up on the thousand year anniversary in about 20 years. <laughs> just, just 20 I years from now. Things. Hey, yeah, when, yeah, when, it's, when the number's a thousand, you can go to that. <laughs> uh, hey, by the way, club trip um, for the 1000 year anniversary. Can we do that? That'd be great. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, COVID be okay. <laughs> we get 20 years to plan. We'll be fine. Just make sure yeah. we get uh, trip insurance. Oh. Uh, All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. If you like what you've been hearing on our show, hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast service. And if you have any ideas or feedback for us, leave us a review or shoot us a DM on Instagram at StrikeMashBoil. Or join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. All right. So this week we have Dana and Sean back with us to talk about uh, homebrew collaborations. Uh, usually you guys are hearing about collaborations that are being done by commercial breweries where one or two or even more breweries get together and brew together. Uh, but ma- many people do this on the homebrew level too. Uh, and we encourage it in our club as it is a great way for uh, members to get connected and to help develop that skill. So it seems pretty simple to just get together and brew with a buddy. Uh, we're going to talk through our own methods of putting together a collab with other people in our club uh, and even maybe talk a little bit about our big brew day where it's a giant collaboration. Uh, so Dana, Sean, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's let's just start off um, with the basics, uh, which is essentially how a collaboration even starts. Like where, where do we kick off with that? For me, it's I for for brewing as long as I have been. I don't retain a whole lot of information very well. So for me, it's I want to make sure that I can find somebody that brews something that I liked, that I can pick their brain a little bit and maybe take some notes and hopefully remember it. For me, uh, similar to what Sean's talking about, is I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm interested in how somebody else is brewing or the system that they're brewing on. I know we touched on that a little bit earlier with the all-in-one systems, but uh, a big part for me is um, is there's just something unique that they do that they're really good at. So what what I'm, I'm usually trying to figure out is like, there's something unique somebody brews. It might be something unique that I brew. And we're like, hey, let's try something just new. Like we're going to come up with a whole new style altogether. Uh, we're going to mash up our techniques. We're going to mash up uh, the things that we do really well together and uh, see what happens. And it becomes fun and there's a little bit of camaraderie and I get to learn some new process stuff in, in, in the uh, meantime. For myself, it's been mostly about um it more starts with that camaraderie kind of be like hey you know we we got the facebook group everyone's always posting like hey i'm gonna be brewing this saturday stop on by i'm gonna be ruined this sunday come on by uh you know especially more so in the summer obviously pre-covid but it's more so hey i haven't seen anyone for a while if you want to come on over the house i'm gonna be brewing and then uh, or I want to get out of the house. I know you're brewing next Saturday. I'm going to go to your house and we're going to have some barbecue and, brew, and watch you brew some beer. And it kind of starts that way. 
and maybe you don't have something planned and um, you know that hey maybe we spitball some ideas of what kind of brew to, so that's kind of where it starts for me and then it grows into okay let me check out your system i haven't seen you brew before or come over to my place you see how i brew you know 20 20 different people's houses you go to you're gonna get 20 different ways they're brewing um and that's that's what i love yeah and i've uh i've always used it as a way of like oh you know try somebody's beer like that's that's interesting what what did you do and through the conversation they'll talk about some unique process and the one that's sticking in my head is uh joe has um done some uh beers where he's pulled off a bit of wart put it on a burner first runnings like the first two or three gallons of the first runnings and then he'll just cook that down and then we add that back into the boil uh, and and you get a lot of extra flavor for say uh, a barley wine or a scottish ale or, or a big british ale and i'd never done anything like that before so joe why don't you come over and show me you know what you're talking about here as you know let's go make a whatever that's kind of how my collabs got started and now it's become more of hey man you're really good at x beer can i come over and watch you brew said beer or can you come to my house and help me brew yeah and, and i think with um one of the things that's really unique about our club is you know how adamant we are that your brewing experience doesn't matter right so you you join mvhbc and um you can be a one-year brewer you could be somebody who's never brewed before we have a member that brewed their first beer in 2020 I mean, it was, uh, and and what happens is, um, as part of that person's sort of journey through home brewing, uh, they get to tag on to guys like Phil and Dana and Sean, myself, and uh, you know, do a brew day with them. They're going to test equipment. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, the Anvil Foundry earlier, uh, and you got guys that are able to see how it works and play around with things. You get to test other equipment. Uh, you get to learn somebody's process. You get to learn their techniques. You see how they organize their day. So you just learn a ton about brewing with that person. So uh, sometimes the collaboration beer is not somebody that's contributing to um, what you're actually making, but they're just contributing to the process. They're there to learn. So they're just a helping hand. And that's, I mean, that's also great too. And I've actually done that with members of the club that they were interested in the system. So I've basically given them the option. If you guys, if you want to come by for a brew day, I, I mean, I'll be the first to offer up my whole foundry system. If, if it's such, it's so mobile that if somebody wanted to brew it, I offered it to Dana. Um, you know, if anybody wanted to use it, they, you know, I, I have no problem with it. I've had people come over, brew on it, and they've, you know, now purchased one. And I've gone so far with folks who've been interested in electric brewing to even open up my electric panel and show them, you know, how it got wired up, talk through even that level of the equipment. Definitely not while we're brewing, not while there's 240 running through it. That could get a little fun. Chicken. Yeah, and we yeah. talked, it was, we, it was a few weeks ago uh, that we talked about on, on this podcast, why join a homebrew club? And underscore this is one of the reasons why you join a homebrew club, because you don't just have access to information and trying people's beers. You have access to the people, the brewers themselves to be able to actually brew with them. So like as an example, you know, find somebody in your club who you know has a pH meter and knows how to uh, do water additions and, and work with water and have them come over and help you brew a beer that you've always brewed. But uh, with all the water adjustments and pH adjustments, I was scared of water. I think I've mentioned that before and it's super easy, but it took somebody showing me that it, it you know, it's very intimidating when you're trying to read it. Yeah. And I think there's, um, when you think about the 
actual structure of collaborating on a brew day, there's a lot of stuff to think about, right? I mean, I think everybody here has done some collaboration with somebody at, at some point, right? Yep. yep. So you've got things like you've got to think about what to brew, how much of it to brew. People think that you get into home brewing because it's going to save you money. It doesn't save you money. So you got to figure out uh, who's paying for what. Uh, so, you know, talk, you guys uh, just share like how you've done um, some of those aspects of collaboration. Like how have you worked some of that stuff out? Um, so that everybody feels like they've uh, walked away with something. One of our one of our club members, him and I brew together at least used to pre-COVID, uh, brewed quite a lot together. A lot of our a lot of my bigger equipment has been a direct, you know, he he bought half of it, I bought half of it, whether you know, you know, upgrading a kettle or, you know, sight glasses, you know, level markings, all that kind of stuff. We would pretty much split that right down the middle. As far as brew day itself comes, it's a good thing. Him and I are pretty much on the same page as far as what we like to drink and what we like to have available for us most of the time. It was never really a, it was never really hard to figure out what we wanted to brew or what was going to be brewing next or what we wanted to really kind of mess with. And then, yeah, and then brew day comes, we, you know, we just, we figure it out. We bought big enough kettles so we could easily do 10 gallon batches and split it right down the middle. So he gets a keg, I get a keg pretty easy that way. So we're not kegging something or bottle conditioning something and having us, you know, go home with beers and all that stuff. What about the ingredients? Like, like how do you handle that? This is, this is, that's an area that's been uh, for me, like I haven't paid a lot of attention to and, you know, good or bad. Uh, and I think most of the guys here um, or yeah, I think all of you guys can um, participate in uh, bulk buying of, of, stuff right so you buy a ton of hops you buy a bunch of grain by the time i'm going to brew and if i'm going to brew with somebody i have no idea what six pounds of my hops of or of not my hops so was, i mean new england ipa is maybe at six pounds of hops yeah. uh, but i have no idea what six pounds of grain costs i'm likely not going to say hey you owe me this amount it's usually uh, a situation where i'm we're just saying i'll contribute the grain you contribute the yeast I'll add this hop, you add that hop, right? That, that's usually the way it's, it's usually not a money transaction. It's just no. who's pitching in what to, for the recipe. It's really been a, Hey, I'll bring the yeast. I'll bring the specialty grains. You've got the, do you have the base malt? Okay, cool. You know, kind of that split of whatever. And it, it's never really a true 50, 50. I mean, I've also never done like a really expensive hundred dollar IPA as a collab. Um, with, you know, 10 pounds of grit, uh, hops or whatever the hell. It's usually just, yeah, who's got the yeast, who's got this, who's got that. Then, yeah, split a, you take a keg, I take a keg. I mean, for, for myself, um, actually the last two brews that I did uh, collab were both with a, um, another member, uh, Dougie Fresh. Uh, we brewed once at my house. We brewed once at his. Both times, it just happened to be like whatever recipes were working out. I just had like... Yeah, you know, I, I had the two row. I had the pilsner. I had yeah. You know, so I was like, okay, well, at my house, I already have all the grain. Don't need to buy anything. Yeah, that's what happens when you bulk buy grains and and hops. Then you don't make IPAs. You got plenty of hops ready to use. You know, I threw it all in when I went to his place. I actually had everything that we needed, so we didn't need to make a, a trip out to the brew store. I had the yeast that we were going to use. I had the hops, so I brought it on over. He, he bought some pizza for lunch, and I was like, all right, what do I owe you for the pizza? He's like, ah, you brought the grain. You know, I got the pizza. Washes out because, I mean, when you go in a single to a double batch, you know, a couple extra pounds, you know, how much does base malt cost, and even specialty malt, when you're going up that much, the, the price is negligible it's all effort at that point unless again you're doing like a really heavily hopped ipa or doing an ipa where you're throwing in you know three times the dollar amount 
of hops rather than than baseball but um you guys know i don't roll that way or or you do the the marco thing and uh you make four beers and uh, you split four different beers <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. versus <laughs> it just being one so yeah it works it works out i mean as long as you you, you know what's going in i mean obviously i think if, if everyone goes in knowing you know, you're making some big hoppy beer or you're making a 15 percent barley wine um and it's going to take a lot off a lot of grain that you know they'll probably be just proactively be like hey you want some cash for that or like oh no just bring like you said bring the hops or uh now i got enough on hand don't worry about it or you know next time we'll brew at your place and you use your ingredients so i think it's kind of uh, pretty organic of how each pair works together on on their brew yeah. this brings up i'm just thinking about this right now so um i i think almost exclusively um not exclusively but almost um every single time somebody brews in our club uh, they put out their the and, and you know not since covid but uh, but they would put out there like hey guys brewing this weekend who wants to come by I, I don't consider that a collaboration i just consider that just folks come by but when you guys have collaborated with somebody um how do you how do you uh, decide who you're going to team up with like is there a list of things that you're like all right this is the reasons why I want to collaborate with this particular person, or if somebody says they want to collaborate with you, do you ever feel like, yeah, I don't think I really want to brew with that person. Like, is there, is there anything that ever uh, makes you apprehensive to brew with somebody? And and I'll, I'll share an example just, you know, uh, because, you know, not to put you guys on the spot, but there have been times where I know that a brewer um, just does things that I'm not that comfortable with negatively. Uh, so they're, sanitation practices might not be that great or um, you know the beer styles that they make are not really for me so politely which i'm not always that great at um, i'll um, you know if they reach out to me say hey i want to brew together i'll either dodge it a million times or i'll just say yeah um, i'm i think i'm all set for now but there there have been times where i've been selective of who i want to collaborate with curious if you guys have uh, have you know done that or thought about that or if it's ever come up for you it's it's probably about the same for me almost almost exactly like you said is that why you keep dodging our brew day together no maybe <laughs> god damn it like i just exposed phil fuck you phil asked. You asked. Good point, Sean. You should never ask the questions you don't want the answers for. But now I get it. Now I got it. But no, I'm trying to work with, again, I try to work with somebody that, one that I know, you know, you know, we're friendly with, you know, I, I mean, not that none of us don't get along in the club, but, you know, people, you know, you just, you, you, you jive well together. Um, but I specifically don't, you know, I don't, I've never have brewed. I'm not even a huge fan of sours, but I was interested in trying it. So I reached out to somebody that I knew in the club that did brew sours and we were able to set something up and have a pretty cool afternoon doing it. Um, you know, again, it's, it's me trying to see the processes and see if it's something that I do want to try or, or try you know, learn the new way, learn new ways. Uh, you know, it goes back to just finding somebody that does something differently than you, that you want to learn. Again, 99.9% .9 of the time, anybody that I've talked to within the club has been more than willing to give up some information or sit with me and literally step-by-step step show me how to adjust water page by page number by number water reports everything so I, I i definitely do it in a selfish way to try to learn as much as i can out of it that way yeah i was just gonna say i might get voted off the island here but uh, usually uh, my collaborations are really selfish they're self-fulfilling for me it's Very one of two so, things yeah. it's either 
this desire to teach somebody something or this desire to learn something from somebody. But anything in between that is never really just for fun. If it's just for fun, I'm like, nah, I ain't got time for that shit. I'd rather keep all the beer for myself. Uh, but, you know, like it's uh, like, uh, you know, uh, it's just usually how it rolls. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I, I get, I mean, what you're saying there is kind of opposite of what you said at the, the beginning. Obviously, it makes sense when you say, all right, like what Sean was saying, I want, I want to gain some knowledge. I want to, you know, I don't make sours. I'm going to work with someone who does sours and, and get that knowledge, you know, have a fun brew day, stuff like that. Um, but hey, maybe, maybe someone who does like a weird process or their sanitation is not that great. Maybe you brewing with them like you said, is you teaching them. So, th- so then the next time they brew up, you know, they bring in an even better beer to, to a meeting or the, the beer that you guys make, you know, is, is better than that same style that you made before and, and one of their better beers. So I think it's one of those things where, um, like I said, we're, we're a huge community. You're always learning from other people. Um, you might pick something up from them. They might pick something up from you. And I mean, no one's going to go home demoralized and defeated. Hopefully, you know, you're you're no lower than where you started but hopefully you know it raises you up in some way agreed like again um you know i think it's one of those things where i'm i i usually look for what's going to be that that self-fulfilling part of it which is somebody who i if, if i thought somebody didn't have good practices that i thought i could help them i'm i'm in I'm good. And we're probably brewing on my system, not their system, <laughs> but right. because the beer that's coming out of it, I want it to be okay. Um, I, I'm just being an asshole, but yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> but there, we, there are those folks that we know that are just, uh, you know, they're on, they're in their lane, they're staying in their lane. They're probably not coming out of it and it's totally fine. I drink their beer and it's great. I'm just probably not going to be making one uh, with them, but which is totally fine. Uh, but you know, the interesting part of collaborations though, are repeat collaborations, which I think is interesting too, because this is where I'm going to, um, you know, just kind of go against what I was just talking about, because I, I have done lots of collaborations with folks uh, that I've repeated and I'm obviously not teaching them anything and they're probably not learning anything from me, but, uh, the brew day was just a really good brew day. We made a really great beer, we had a good time uh, doing it. So I want to do more of it. The idea that you can, you know, because my system, as you guys know, that I can brew up to 15 gallons in a single batch and brewing a five gallon batch on a system that brews up to 15 gallons sucks. It's not, it's not <laughs> the best use of that system. So sometimes uh, I want to brew at the capacity that my system can, and then just share it with folks and you get folks to help you out and you come and you have a good day. And, uh, you know, my brew days are, you know, eight to 10 hours, depending on how adventurous I want to get. And I get a helping hand for it and I, they get beer as a reward for helping me out. And I think it's a perfect uh, marriage in that regard. Well, you know, one, uh, type of collab that I've kind of enjoyed a lot of is like picking a beer style that you and somebody else may both be interested in probably not so much interested in brewing, say a full 10 gallon batch of, and so trying something different and unique, like say a Kentucky common, taking a stab at that, uh, splitting it, you know, you each take five gallons and said like, you know, up until recently, I, five gallons wasn't really in something I could handle. So 10 gallon batches were my thing. Well, I didn't need 10 gallons of a, a Kentucky mile or Kentucky common, especially if it didn't turn out really well. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the other way of doing a collab too, is picking beer styles that maybe you and, and somebody else in the club, you get along really well with, but like, Hey, have, have you ever brewed one of these? No. You want to? Yeah, sure. 
Let's try it. But then it comes down to recipe development. So it's a lot of sitting on chat and throwing around back and forth. Um, Dana, you brewed that uh, Kentucky Common with me. That's correct, yes. And so it's a lot of like, do we use six row? Do we use two row? Well, back in the day, they probably used six row. Well, let's try six row. I don't know what, I've never brewed with six row. Have you? Yeah, I've got a freaking sack of it because, of course, Dana has a sack of six row. <laughs> Plenty of rice cells to go around, baby. That's kind of the other fun part of collaborations that I've really enjoyed is is picking beer styles that I've never done before. Maybe the other person has never done before. And, and Marco, you and I were thinking about trying to do a, um, I think initially we we're going to do a We Heavy, and, and now we've gone 180, and we're going to do a, a California Common. And maybe now a damp beer, we'll see. All three of which I've never done, and I, I don't know if you've, I think you said you've done a, a California common years and years ago, but like, that's the other part I, I enjoy about a collaboration is picking beer styles. You know, maybe neither of us have ever done before. I was saying one thing that I had a lot of fun with too, is, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily always be collaborating with beer with, at least within our club is when we all collaborated and put together this, you know, this, this library teaching session, and you learned a lot from a lot of people that way too. And that was more than just a two person sit down, try to figure out a recipe and brew something. You learned a lot of people's thought processes behind the way that, you know, how they approach everything. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that was awesome. I remember we did that in the Chelmsford Mass Library and we taught uh, the class. And that was great because we worked with uh, was four of us, I think, that did it. And uh, uh, it was a, a really fun way to share the craft. Uh, I'll say my favorite type of collaboration that we do or have done are the big brew days. We've done a bunch of different versions of it where we've done everybody brews the same beer on different systems. Uh, we did the uh, chopped version where you got a basket of ingredients. and you So everybody brewed different beers. Uh, and then we also did where we all just brewed one beer on a commercial system. Sean, uh, you, you set that one up for us, which was great, which was at Navigation Brewing in Lowell, Mass. And those guys were, you know, hosted us and um, didn't do any of the work, let us brew this beer on their system. And that was really cool. So we just brewed one really big beer. Um, and those have been um, my my favorite collaborations because, you know, you got a lot of guys that you get to get input from everybody. And it becomes just this uh, really interesting, intricate way of working with a big group on trying to come up with one objective and one goal and one finished product, which has uh, been really interesting and, and probably the most fun that we have when we do those big brew days. Which is probably one of the things that I hate most about this whole COVID situation because, man, I really want to fill that gin barrel that we got at HomebrewCon last year. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> seriously, man. It's like waiting in the wings. So we still got to do that saison. But it's May, so so big brew day officially uh, is it happens in May every single year. So hopefully, you know, in a few months we'll be able to do this again and uh, and and get out out of this rut. Uh, we did unfortunately miss it in uh, 2020, which uh, really sucked. All right. Well, I think uh, I think I mean basically that sums up. I mean, guys, uh, collabs really are just a great way for uh, new home brewers. Uh, to get an opportunity to learn from someone else and uh, grow their skill set as a brewer. So while uh, collabs can be fun uh, to get some buddies together and brew, uh, we think to get the most out of it uh, for their collab, you want to pick somebody to brew with that makes styles of beer that either you don't or has a process that you don't use uh, or does some things differently than you do that you can ultimately uh, learn from. Uh, Sean, Dana, as usual, 
Um, awesome time. Thanks again for sitting in with us and having this conversation. Really appreciate you guys taking the time with us. Hey, thank you. Thank you guys again. All right. So that uh, was a really great show, guys. Um, you know, coming up next time, we have uh, Mr. Lactose himself, uh, Joe Devana, uh, who's going to be joining us to talk about why we call him Mr. Lactose. Uh, he is so fond of that name. We can't, I can't wait to uh, talk to him about it. Uh, and more importantly, uh, to talk about his process in using lactose in beers. You guys probably guess why we call him Mr. Lactose uh, and how he makes those beers shine. Um, just by using lactose and, you know, not for nothing, he does make some really great beers, which happens to be a, a huge trend in brewing right now. Uh, so looking forward to our next conversation with him. Yeah, it's going to be a great show. So uh, everyone out there, stick around. We'll see you next time on Strike Mash Boil. The Strike Mash Boil podcast is produced by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, an American Homebrewers Association sanctioned club. Follow us on Instagram at MVHBC. Join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. And check out our website at MVHBC.com. that they're really good at and um i'm over here sorry that you you derailed me with the the messages (laughs) yeah sorry um